Well, we've been in a series through the Gospel of Mark, which means we've been reading verse by verse, line by line, from Mark, and learning a lot about Jesus. And I don't know about, for those of you who have been participating, about you, but for me, when you walk with Jesus, verse by verse, line by line, I really feel like I'm there, and I'm starting to feel like I know Jesus more. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and so it's been really good. And what's interesting is I know today's Easter, and so I should have prepared a sermon all about Easter. But isn't all of Jesus' life about Easter? Someone say, amen, brother. Thank you. And so it's, it's very interesting that today's message, scheduled the way it just happened to be, is perfect for Easter, I think. But it's not the classic Easter resurrection story. It is the climax of the Gospel of Mark. So you know how stories work, right? There's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end. And normally the stories are reaching up to a climax. And then that climax is where you have the main, this is the main thing, okay? And then from there you kind of resolve and salute and all of those things. And then you have hopefully a good ending. Good stories usually have a good ending. Some don't. Um, Ours does. And we know what the ending is, right? Jesus dies, he rises from the dead. That's the ending kind of the ending and then he sends us out to be on mission and that's still so the story's still going but what's the climax of the gospel of mark well the climax we're going to look at today so let me just read our text today and um, then i'll do a little teaching if i can mark chapter 8 verses 18 i'll start there this is the last verse that i read last week or the week before when i wasn't here last week okay here we go ready having eyes do you not see jesus rebukes the disciples and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up how many how many and they answered 12 and then for the seven loaves that i had for four thousand people how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up how many how many and they said uh seven and he said do you not yet understand? And that's where we ended the message a few weeks ago. Hmm? Did you not understand? Jesus was trying to teach them something. And then he goes on today and says this. They came to Bethsidia, verse 22. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again and opened his eyes. And his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And then he sent him to his house saying, do not even go back to the village. Just go home. And so they left. And as they went on their way with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, um, others say one of the prophets from the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you, who do you say that I am? Peter immediately said, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach the disciples how the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed. But after three days, he would rise again. And he said this plainly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. 
for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. That's the story today. Um, and so let me just do a little recap because, because I, I, I get excited about this. All right, so as we were studying over the past six, chapter six through chapter eight, this is the story that, we, that has been laid out. The gospel of Mark is the shortest of all the gospels in the Bible. It's the clearest. It gives us the most succinct, clear truth. It's, it's very, it's very um, accurate. Most scholars would say Mark's the most accurate because he leaves out he does not leave out details. Like there's details, even, even as short as it is, there's details that he probably should have left out. Like for instance, maybe he should have left out that part about the blind man not getting his sight back immediately. Don't you think? Why did Jesus have to work so hard on that one? What's up with that? We'll talk about it. But maybe Mark should have left that out. It would have saved us all a bunch of confusion. Wouldn't you agree? But Mark didn't leave it out. As short as he is, he still put in details that maybe he probably could have left out. Um, but, but maybe he left it in for a reason. Because I believe that Mark is teaching us something, or Jesus is teaching us something with his life. He's illustrating for us this thing about sight. Who do you say that Jesus is? Okay, so here's what happened in chapter 6. For those of you who are here, you might need a recap, because if you're like me, you forgot what we talked about last week. Amen? Someone say amen so I don't feel alone. All right, and for those of you who are new, I want you to be on the same page. So let me explain what's happened in the past few chapters. Chapter 6 Jesus feeds 12, uh, he feeds 5,000, 12,000 people with um, a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And when he is done passing out that two, you know, fish and a couple of loaves, they take up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. It's amazing. And then from there, and you see this line, right? It starts off here and then it comes down to this point and then it goes back up and it's a parallel image. They call it um, a... Uh, a chiastic structure because it looks kind of like an X, okay? So the, he feeds 5,000 and has 12 baskets left over. Then he gets on the boat, and Jesus walks on water. It's a famous story, right? And the disciples are freaking out. Who is this man? They think he's a ghost. And they ask this question, who is this man? Then he, Jesus walks around a little bit and heals some sick people. And all of this is in a Jewish town, in Jewish region with Jews. Then he goes to someone's house to eat dinner, um, and the Pharisees start criticizing him for not eating the right kinds of food or not cleaning their hands a certain way. And Jesus gives this speech where he says, I want you to know it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what goes into your body that makes you unclean or clean. Because what you put inside of your mouth comes out the other end anyway. It doesn't change you. But what does make you unclean is your heart. And unfortunately, that doesn't come out the other end. It stays in there. And you're going to have to deal with the stuff in your heart. That's the real issue. And so at this point, Jesus is critically saying that Jews who won't touch Gentiles and who won't eat pork or won't be seen with Gentiles because they eat pork, um, he's saying that doesn't make you unclean. In fact, the, the Jews are supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles. That's what Isaiah teaches. Jews are supposed to be missionaries to the Gentiles. And how can you minister to them if you won't touch them, you won't look at them, and you won't eat with them? And so then Jesus, ironically, from there moves up and almost, almost parallels that whole scenario, but now he's doing it all with Gentiles. The first thing that happens is he heals a Seraphonician woman's daughter just with the sound of his voice. She's back at home in bed. He's told that she's possessed by a demon. Jesus heals her. There's a big conversation about Jews and Gentiles there. He calls her a dog. It's an interesting story. You should read it. Then he gets one of my favorite stories is he gets to this deaf man who is a Gentile, and Jesus takes the deaf man, 
pulls him aside and sticks his fingers into his ears. And I, I don't think they have Q-tips back then, so this is pretty gross, right? Jesus sticks his fingers into his ears, and then he spits on his hand, and then he grabs the man's tongue, and he's holding his tongue, and he heals him. And this man immediately, not only can he hear, but he can speak plainly and clearly, which is a double miracle, really, because it takes time normally for a deaf person when they get their hearing to learn to speak clearly. He's speaking clearly immediately. And then Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and there's seven baskets left over. So, so now you've got the context. Do you see this? And Jesus is saying, I fed um, 5,000 people. They were Jews. I healed some Jews. I got in this argument about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, and I told the Pharisees, and I told everyone there's no di difference. I'm here for both. And then I started ministering to the Gentiles, and I fed 4,000 Gentiles and had seven baskets left over. And so then they get in a boat again, which, again, the boat kind of parallels the other boat. Do you, did, you remember, did you see that? And they're on the boat, and the, and the disciples are complaining about the fact that they forgot to bring bread on their trip. And Jesus says to them something about be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and, the, and Herod. And, and they start arguing about whose fault it was that they forgot to bring lunch. And Jesus gets upset with them and he says, listen to this. Do you have eyes but not see? Which is a miracle we're going to get ready. We just read. Do you have ears? Which is a miracle two weeks ago. But do not hear? Do you not understand? Let, let me break it down for you, brothers. When I fed 5,000 people, how many baskets were left over? How many? Tell me how many, how many, how many? And they said, uh, 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 12. There it is, 12. <laughs> and he says, and when I fed 4,000 people, how many baskets did I have over? How many? Uh, uh, okay, I got seven. Good job, you got seven. And then he says, don't you see? And what we talked about two weeks ago was that Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah. Because if you read the Old Testament, it says that the Messiah was going to come and be the servant of the Lord who was going to minister to the Jews and to the Gentiles. That he was going to open up God's grace to all of the world. So if you remember in the Old Testament, the Jews were the children of God. But when Jesus comes, everyone's the children of God. Everyone. Now raise your hand if you're a Jew and you're here this morning. We welcome you if you are. And there's not a lot of Jews in Owensville, I don't think. Um, everyone in here is a Gentile. So if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus did this, we'd all probably still be pagans. And um, we'd still eat bacon, of course. But we might all be possessed by demons, you know. But we're not. Why? Because Jesus came. And Jesus opened it up to the world. And when Jesus was asking, how many baskets were left over? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Don't you get it? What he was saying is, when there were Jews, I had 12 baskets left over, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And when there were Gentiles, I had seven baskets that were left over, symbolizing completion. My, the gospel is complete. It's going to all the world. And of course, the disciples didn't get it because you wouldn't have got that either if I didn't tell it to you just now. And I wouldn't have gotten either if I wouldn't have read some smart guy's commentary, right? But that's what it was all saying. And so now here's what's going to happen today. Oh, it's so exciting. Jesus is going to heal a blind man. And then Jesus is going to ask them, who do you say that I am? And every commentator, every scholar will tell you that that's the climax of the Gospel of Mark. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, people are saying this. It comes off their lips. Who is this man? Who is this man that even forgives sins? Who is this man that even controls the wind and the waves? Who is this man who can cast out demons? Who is this man who people can be healed simply by touching his garment? And then when, even when he went to his hometown, they didn't, they knew who he was. Who is this man? Isn't this Mary's son, the carpenter's son? But then they said, he does all things well. They, but, they, but nobody has said who he is. They're just asking. And the disciples are asking too. And then Jesus is going to climactically get to this one point where he flat out says, 
who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And that is the climax. That is the pivot. That is the most critical passage in this whole book. Mark chapter 1, Mark tells us, I'm writing this so that you'll know that Jesus is the Christ. But he's not proven to us that he's a Christ quite yet, except for if you're reading the Bible, you would think he is because he's been doing a lot of amazing things. Chapter 8, verse 29 is the, is the, is the, is the climax. But before we get there, we've got to look at this miracle. And let me just, I'm just going to go ahead and put the cookies on the bottom shelf this morning, okay? I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm just going to tell you straight up where I'm going, and that is this. Every commentator, every scholar, every preacher from the history of the world will tell you that this story is all about spiritual sight. You might be wondering, why did it take you so long to heal the man? Well, why is he taking so long to heal you? Amen. Someone say amen. Because spiritually you see, but yet not really. Would you agree with that? So it's all about spiritual sight, and it parallels the, the disciples' spiritual sight. He's asking them, do, that, was that, that was that passage, do you have eyes but not see? Come on, dudes, open your eyes. I'm standing right here in front of you. And this healing right here bridges the story of Jesus saying, now do you see? And in, and in fact, in John, when, when Peter answers, he says, blessed are you, for God has revealed this to you. You didn't, you didn't see it. God's made you see it. All right, let's look at the story. Let, let me read it again real quick. Just this, this is healing. Jesus is going to heal this blind man. Um, they came to Bethsidia, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, this is, again, just like the, just like the deaf man. Com this is very compassionate. Jesus gets it. I need you to know this. I don't know how well you would do. I don't know how well I would do if someone brought a blind person to me. Maybe I would talk louder, you know, obnoxiously. Hey, how are you? Look, I'm blind. I'm not deaf, dude. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know what I'm talking about? I, I usually get nervous in situations like that and just do stupid stuff. <laughs> or someone maybe has a condition you can tell, but you don't want to look at them, right? You know, but you can't stop looking. It's like, golly, what are you, eight years old? Come on, you're a 40-year-old man. Act like an adult. Jesus just gets it. They bring this blind man to him, and Jesus knows what, it, what it, he must know what it's like to be blind. And he grabs him by the hand, and he gently leads him out of town, out of the village. That's a long walk, don't you think? On, on rocky terrain. Okay, okay, come with me. Step, look, look, look out, there's a rock coming. I, I imagine Jesus walking him and talking to him, gently leading him. Oh, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus takes us by the hand and gently leads us? Raise if you think sometimes you're pretty blind. Yeah, and you're like, and Jesus, and you want to tell Jesus, don't tell me which way to go. Just take me there. <laughs> Amen? Just, and Jesus takes him there, just leads him there. And when he gets him there, he spits on his hand again, again, connecting these two miracles, this big old picture that we have in, in Mark. And he touches his eyes and he says, Jesus asks, do you see anything? And the man opens his eyes and says, yes, I see. It looks like trees walking I'm, I'm assuming it's men because i know trees don't walk so men that look like trees <laughs> so what does that mean um he's blurry i guess but it means a bunch of other things too because people do not look like trees wouldn't you agree uh, maybe a cactus you know <laughs> but not a tree How, why where did he get tree from i love what spurgeon says here Spurgeon, again, I told you all preachers liken this to spiritual sight, says a lot of times when you become a new Christian, you, raise your hand if you remember when you became a new Christian. Some of you in here still need to become a Christian maybe because um, half of you didn't raise your hand, so I'm going to be preaching the gospel to you today. Um, 
When you became a new Christian, you, you remember what it was like to have your eyes opened. Oh, I see. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. and Oh, it's so humbling. But then what do you naturally do? What do new Christians always do? They over-exaggerate everything, right? Oh, you can never drink a beer or you're going to hell. Or you can never watch a rated R movie. Or again, you're going to hell. <laughs> or you've got to read your Bible every morning at 6 a.m. and journal about it from the king. You know, they, they usually get real, um, they over-exaggerate everything. They, they get, a new Christian gets turned on to the idea of predestination. I was, this was me when I was young. And then what did I do? I over-exaggerated. Oh, we're all going to, yeah, oh, we're going to die anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. It's all predestined. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're... So, so what Spurgeon says is this man saw people and thought they were trees. And trees are way bigger than people, <laughs> okay? At least trees from where I'm from, okay? Trees are way bigger than people. And so Spurgeon says, new Christians, new believers who just get their eyes open tend to exaggerate everything. Raise your hand if you ever met a Christian like that. It's like, go, oh, dude, just calm down a little bit, all right? <laughs> You've got a long way to go. <laughs> I wish it was as perfect as you think it is, but Jesus doesn't just come into your life and just make everything go away. You still suck. Just want you to know that. <laughs> you still have problems in your life. You're still going to mess things up. You still need to walk with Jesus daily, and Jesus will guide you and lead you on the right path. But stop acting like you know everything because you don't, and you're, just, you're just embarrassing yourself and embarrassing, embarrassing every other Christian in the world. Someone, who wants to preach that sermon to some people that you know? Uh, yeah. Raise your hand if you once were that Christian. Yeah, I was. So anyway. So we can't see quite everything. Here's another question. Does this bother you that Jesus has to give a little work on this? Like, can I just tell you how many people have pr proposed ideas as to why it took Jesus two tries to heal this man? I'm going to give you a couple of them. Um, one is they blame the man. Well, maybe the man's faith wasn't very strong. And then so Jesus opened his eyes just a little bit and showed him he, what he could do. And then the man's faith increased and then he could see it. And, you know, I guess that would work. I'm not going to preach that sermon, though, because the text doesn't say it. I don't know. Um, maybe it's because of the optic nerve. <laughs> maybe Jesus knows that if he gives him a sight immediately, he'll just go blind again because <laughs> it'd be so bright, right? Maybe, maybe Jesus is slowly healing him so that he doesn't just see everything at once, but he kind of begins to see and then sees. I guess that would work. Maybe if you're an eye doctor, you might agree with that. I don't know. I'm not an eye doctor. But, again, the text doesn't say Another commentator said that maybe it was due to power. Jesus' power is waning as he gets closer to the cross, and so he doesn't have as much power. That's pretty lame. Don't buy that commentary, all right? Where is that in the text? Or because he's getting further away from Galilee, which is his home base. Maybe he did it on purpose. I, I'm going to preach that one because that's what I tend to think. I've showed you all these pictures, right? Jesus um, is walking his disciples through this journey, and along the journey, he's showing them things, and he's asking them, did you see it? Did you see what happened? Do you have eyes but do not see? Come on, I'm, I'm showing it to you in real life. I'm touching people's ears and, and spitting and touching their tongue. Do you not see it? I think he's doing this as a parallel to show the disciples, you see, but you don't quite see. You know a little bit about me, and you know what I can do, but you don't, haven't quite figured out who I am. And I think this is a picture of our own life as well. But here's another question. Does it bother you in any sense that it, it, that, that it would take God two tries to get, one, to get a thing done? I think it does. Because I think sometimes we think that God should just do it. <laughs> I know I do, right? Have you ever been praying about a certain issue in your life? And you're like, God, come on, get her done. 
All right? Can I just say just about everything that I've prayed about has not been just getting her done? It takes effort. It takes time. Even when God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, it didn't just happen overnight. It happened in seven days and nights, right? Or six days and nights. God does work. Oh, and how about this? Sometimes I think we think that Jesus is just God, and so everything is effortless for him. But that is not what the gospel teaches. Jesus had to abandon his home in heaven to live in a stable, <laughs> to walk on the earth, and to grow hungry and irritable with his disciples. And worse than that, he had to go to a cross and die a horrific, painful death that he didn't even want to. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? No, if it's, if it's all possible, no. Does it take God effort to save us? The answer is an extreme amount of effort, and he goes through it gladly. And so it shouldn't surprise us that maybe a little effort here it might take. I don't know why it took him two times, but I tend to think it's because he's showing us that, yes, you may see, but it's not real clear. It's like trees walking. <laughs> um, and so where am I going to go next? Then he lays his hands on him a second time. And his eyes were opened, or Jesus opened his eyes, it says. He laid his hands on him a second time and opened his eyes, and then he saw everything clearly. This is beautiful. Can you imagine, just for a second, you were blind. What do you do every day? Here's what blind people do every day. Blind people go into the village and beg. That's all they can do. And, and they're, they're not threatening in any way. They can't run very fast. Um, they, you know, they can't swing a bat at you. <laughs> and so they generally just sit there and beg. And then at the end of the day, takes what he made and goes back home to his home. His home is over here. The village is over here. He goes into the village to beg and he goes back home. Jesus says, don't go back to the village. You don't have to. You can see. Go home. Go home. So he goes home. All right. Are you seeing it? Do you see it? Do you? you see Jesus healing this blind man in stages. And isn't it true that although some healing and most of Jesus' healings happen instantaneously, like for instance, even the little girl who was possessed by demons, Jesus doesn't even have to touch her. He just says it, go home, she's healed, and she was. So most of his healings happen instantaneously. And when you become a Christian, it is instantaneous. You see, your eyes are open, and you see that you need Jesus, that you're a sinner and you need Christ. You ask Christ God for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be your savior, immediately, most of you in this room would say, immediately this happened to you, you become converted. And at that point you become born again. That's what born again is all about. It's an immediate thing. You're new life, new birth, new, 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 new creation. And you, but you don't, you don't get perfect, do you? You're not all of a sudden Jonathan Edwards, are you? <laughs> you, you have a big, long process of sanctification. And in that process, you really mess things up. And, you, and you, you don't see it all very clearly. And in fact, if you did, you would just stop reading the Bible, wouldn't you? Well, I read John 3.16 and I got saved. It's all I need. <laughs> Amen? Well, no. Because you, you, it is good that you saw that. And, and I'm, I'm going to say, yes, you're saved. But there's so much more to see. There's so much more to understand. There's so much more about Christ that you need to love in order for you to be changed. And so we've got to go back to the... To, 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 the, to Christ. He touched him a second time. So, so if there's one thing I know is that of all the things in my life, the one thing that takes a very long, gradual process is learning. You know, people say, well, he likes to learn the hard way. You ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you could 
you know, relate. <laughs> I always got to learn the hard way. I, I may know something, and then I'll still walk right into it, knowing that I shouldn't have walked right into it. Am I the only one? Oh, like, for instance, one time I put my drill on top of the garage door, all right? The garage door was open, and I was fixing the garage door opener, and lo and behold, the garage door was like a shelf right there. So I put my drill on there, and immediately I said, you shouldn't do that because you're probably going to forget, and then you're going to close the garage door, and it's going to drop, and it's going to break. And then I said, no, 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 I won't forget. This is a conversation I had in my head. Do you guys do this? Well, about 10 minutes later, I climbed down off the ladder, went over there and pushed the button. As soon as I pushed the button, it was too late. That garage door started going down. Yeah, it works. I fixed it. Oh, no, the drill. Bam, crashed on the driveway. Drills are expensive, are they not? I then took that thing apart and thought I could fix it. <laughs> no. Uh, do I do that stuff all the time still today? Yes, I do. I still remember that drill, but I do it all the time. No, don't put it there. You're going to forget. No, I won't forget. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> If there's one thing in life, it is knowledge and understanding that takes us all a long time to learn. And, and, and that is why the Bible is so amazing. You can read the Bible today, and it will mean something to you, and it still means the same thing, but you can read it next year. It's the same meaning, it's the same truth. The truth hasn't changed any, but now your eyes are just a little wider, and you see it a little more clearly. Amen? And you begin to grow more. Growth takes time, and it's a gradual process. So do you see? Do you see this clearly? I hope that you do. Well, let's look now at the last part. Jesus, after he heals this blind man, he goes to his disciples and has this critical, pivotal scene in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus went into the village and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And this is very interesting. It probably doesn't surprise us that Jesus is asking questions. Jesus always asks questions. But it it does surprise me that Jesus is asking what other people think of him. That doesn't sound like Jesus, right? What does he care? Hey, who do people say that I am? And again, I think he's just trying to teach his disciples some things. And it's not about public opinion. Jesus doesn't care about public opinion, but he wants to know if his disciples have heard anything. And what's also interesting to me is that when the disciples mention what they've heard, not one of them heard that Jesus is the Messiah. They all heard a bunch of weird stuff, right? You're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist just died a couple of weeks ago. How could I be John the Baptist? I'm 30 years old, you know? Maybe somehow the spirit of John the Baptist floated over and, you know, but, but I was already doing these miracles before John the Baptist floated over, you know? People think he's John the Baptist. Some people think he's Elijah because Elijah never died in the Bible. So maybe he's Elijah come back. Some people think he's another prophet in the Old Testament. And, and, and Jesus doesn't answer any of these questions and doesn't say, well, I can see why people would think that, but they're all stupid. He doesn't say anything like that. But what does interest me is that of all the things that have happened in the Gospel of Mark so far, no one has said, could this be the Christ? Think about that. Weren't they waiting for the Christ? They were. For, you know, hundreds of years they were waiting for the Messiah. And is he not fulfilling some of the prophecies, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, setting free the captives? I mean, he's doing these things. How come no one said, some people think you're John the Baptist, some people think you're Elijah. There's a few people who actually think you're the Messiah. <laughs> no one, he, they didn't say that. But then Jesus, he doesn't really care about public opinion. He wants to know what the, what the, what the disciples are hearing and what they're beginning to understand, what they're processing. And then he says, but you. And in the original language, in the Greek, the word you is first for emphasis. Because in Greek, you can talk like Yoda and it's okay. So, you know, you say, I am, question mark, right? You can talk like that. That's what Greek sounds like, actually. And um, 
And so Jesus says, you, who say I am? <laughs> so he's putting the emphasis on you. And of course, Peter's the one who speaks first because he always does. But I also think that Peter's, I honestly, and, I'm, and it doesn't say it in the text, so you can tell me I'm wrong. But I honestly think that at that moment is when Peter's light bulb went on. Maybe this has happened to you, someone that you look up to, maybe a mentor, a teacher, maybe a parent. You're struggling with something, and then they ask you a question, and they ask you a series of questions, and they get you to think a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're like, thank you, I just figured it out. Have you ever been there? It's like some people know how to just ask you the right, and if you're a parent, you know that you can't tell them the answer. You've got to get them to come up with the answer. Am I right? Yeah, (laughs) some of you know. You can't just say, hey, this is what you need to do. You know, div- you know break up with that boy. He's he bad for you. You just got to ask questions and then, oh, maybe I should break up with him. I don't know. <laughs> kind of trying to get you to think that. <laughs> or I was trying to get you to see the truth, right? See what I see. See what we all see that you, that you don't see for some reason. But that's what I think Jesus is doing. He's asking, who do people say I am? And they're all thinking, oh, Elijah, oh, yeah, I see that. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, okay, uh, John the Baptist, uh, yeah, Malachi does say something about, okay. And then Jesus says, you, who do you say I am? And I think Peter said, oh, you're, you're the Christ. I get it now. You're the Messiah. And I believe Jesus is like, bless your little heart. <laughs> Took you long enough. Eight chapters. <laughs> so that's what I think happened. And in fact, in, in Matthew's text, Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for God has revealed this to you. And, and I will now call you rock or Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church or on this confession, on the fact that I am the Christ, I will build my church. And Jesus says, good, you get it. You see, but what we're going to see right now is that even though Peter saw it, oh, I see it, you're the Christ. He still doesn't quite see it all because he makes a mistake, a critical one right here. Now, when G, when, I need to tell you this, that when Peter says you're the Christ, the word Christ in Greek is just the word Christos, which means the anointed one, literally. So he says you're the anointed one. And, and, and we were, if we were translating it into English, because Christos is a Greek word, if we were translating it into English, it'd be you're the anointed one, a.k.a. the Messiah. And you go back to the book of Isaiah and the Old Testament prophets where he talks about the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one who is to come. These are all the same names. So what Peter essentially said is you're the Christ or you're the anointed one or you're the Messiah. Some people might not know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. His, his name is Jesus of Nazareth, but we call him Jesus Christ, and we could literally say Jesus the Christ because he is the Savior, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. We just say Jesus Christ because we don't need to put the article there, the, because we know he's the Savior, he's the one. That's what Peter said. Do you see that? When you think of who Jesus is and when, you, when you're looking at Jesus even this morning, Is he the Christ? Think about that for a second. Don't just say it because everyone says it. Sometimes people use it in a profane way as well. But think about this. Is he your Savior? Is he your Messiah? The anointed one who's come to bless you, to lead you, take you by the hand, and gently lead you where you should go, to take you through to to the place that is light as opposed to the place that is darkness, to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the Bible says to offer you tremendous grace and compassion and mercy, and then to begin to sanctify you and grow you to become a child of God and a prince or a princess who will reign in the future kingdom of God? Is that who you see when you see Jesus? I I want you to. 
That's who I want you to see. That's, I think, who Peter saw just for a second there. And then Jesus says, finally, you get it. And he went on to teach them how he must suffer many things and then be rejected by the religious leaders and then be crucified and killed. But in three days, he will rise from the dead. And then Mark says, and he said all of this plainly. In other words, you can't mess this up. Now that you see who I am, I don't know if you are a scholar, Peter, if you know much about Isaiah, but let me break it down for you plainly. This means if I'm the Messiah, I will be rejected, I will die, and I will rise in three days. And again, Peter sees trees <laughs> walking. He doesn't see it clearly, so he immediately says, no, 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 mm-mm. You're not going to die. <laughs> not if I can help it. Peter talks like this. Oh, you talk like this too, right? I know some of your wives are nodding and nudging your, their husbands. Yes, he talks like that. He thinks he can stop it. No, he can't. Peter, you can't stop it. Um, Peter says, no, this isn't true. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty bold. That's pretty strong. He, calls, he, he went from calling Peter the rock in which he will build his church to, you're Satan. <laughs> why does he do that? Because, he tells us why, because your, your mind, oh, there it is, right? Your mind is thing that's gradually changing and you're learning and you're growing. Your mind is not set on God, but set on the things of men. All you care about is yourself. All you care about is the world, the world that you live in. You're, you need to set your mind on the things of God and see the big picture. So, <laughs> Peter is so cool to me. Peter reflects the story of the man who got his eyes opened. At first, all he saw was trees moving. And then Christ opened his eyes to see the man on the tree. Amen? Not just men who look like trees, but a man who will die on a tree. And Jesus explains to this blind man, I mean to, 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 to Peter, who sees, I'm going to die on a tree. And Peter's like, no, 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 I see you as the Christ, but not the one dying on a tree. And Jesus says, no, you're not seeing clearly. You're still, you're still kind of blind. So what do we do with all of this? Um, I just want to end by asking two questions. Your sight is gradual. So please do not hear me in the pulpit saying, you need to see better. See Try harder to see better, you. Do it now. Because what good is that going to do, right? You're going to make you go home and feel like you're, you're blind as a bat. And thanks, Mike. Your sight is going to be gradual. But let's just know that, okay? But how does your sight become more clearer? How did the blind man's sight become more clearer? By another touch from Jesus. Someone say amen because you know where I'm going. Another touch. And so if, if, if the man would have said, thanks, dude, and run off at that moment, he would have been saved, but he would have seen everything very clearly. And he'd run around like a blind uh, Christian, <laughs> right, who made a bunch of mistakes like many of us are today. Amen? But no, 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 wait for it. Jesus has got more for you. Amen? He's going to touch you some more. He's going to lead you some more. You need to have more time with him, more interactions with him, more encounters with him. And the more that you do, Tell me if you think I'm wrong. The more encounters you have with Christ, the more you'll see, and the more you see, the more you'll change. Someone say amen. And it's, it's just obvious, isn't it? If you don't have encounters with Christ, then you won't see anything new, and you won't change. Just, that's just the way it is. You'll continue to be the broken self that you are. 
And here's what you can do. And here's what people do when they only see a little bit. They get saved and they say, okay, I got Jesus in my heart. I said that prayer down by the altar and now I'm a Christian. But then they still make a bunch of stupid mistakes and they still have a hard time changing their life and they're trying to change their life. They're trying to perfect their selves, but it's they're having a hard time with it. Amen? How many people know people like that? How many people would say, you're a people like that? You are. I know that you are because I am too. And you try to fix yourself and you try to make yourself better and it's not working. Why? Because you need another encounter with Christ, another touch from Christ, a little more spit from Christ. Amen? He needs to take you by the hand and walk you down the path. Then you'll begin to, you'll only change if he changes you. Because if you've ever tried to change yourself, all I got to do is ask you how your New Year's resolutions are doing right now. I haven't lost a single pound since New Year's Day. You cannot change yourself. Only Christ can. And the second thing I want to ask you is this. Who do you say that he is? And that's why this is the pivotal point of the Gospel of Mark, because all these things, or I'll just go from here, all these things that have been happening in the Gospel of Mark come to this one climactic point where Jesus asks, okay, you, who do you say that I am? And he's done all of this to show his disciples who he is and to open their eyes so they may see. Now do you get it, 12, 7? You get it? You get it? Now do you see it? But as we're studying the Gospel of Mark together, verse by verse and line, line by line, we're here too, and he's asking you, who do you say that I am? And people in this country will either say, he's a good teacher, who's got some stuff to offer, or they'll say, he's cool with me, or he's just all right with me, if you're from the 70s, right? Or still all right with me. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about just all right. Jesus is just all right with me. Or you get to this place where you say, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world and of me, and I need more of him to this morning on Easter. That's why I think this is a perfect Easter service, sermon. Because you're here today, and I'm asking you, and Jesus is asking you, do you see, who do you say that I am? I had a phone conversation with a friend of mine this week, and he, it was on Good Friday, and he asked me, he said, why do we call it Good Friday? Shouldn't it be Bad Friday? And I'm like, you know, I used to call it Bad Friday just to be funny, <laughs> I guess, because sometimes I try to be funny. And um, I said, but he goes, but, but for real, why do we call it Good Friday? I said, well, because it's good for us. Amen. It's good for us. Yeah, it was a bad day. It was a very bad day for Christ indeed. Um, he didn't want to go through it. He said, Lord, take this cup from me if it's possible. It's, it's traumatic. It's painful. He's giving his life, shedding his blood. It's not good. There's nothing good about that unless you're a Christian and you know why. Because it does take God effort and work to save us. You can't just say, here's 10 commandments, follow them, and then you'll be saved because that doesn't work. <laughs> Instead, he has to say, all right, that didn't work. Let me come down here and die for you. And I've got to exert all of myself, not just a little bit of it, but all of it and give it away so that I can save you. And that's why today, on Easter Sunday, you can say, Good Friday was good because he died for me. He died for my sins so that I may have full life, so that I may have eternal life, so that I might be saved, so that I might see that Jesus is the Savior. And this morning, we're going to end by taking communion. 
um, it is our privilege as Christians to do this, to remember what Jesus did on Good Friday and why we celebrated on Easter because he died and he rose and he told us when he died, before he died on the Last Supper, I want you to do this to remember me, in remembrance of me. And on that night, the Last Supper, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks, just like he did when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. But this time he's just feeding his 12. And he says, I want you to take this body, take this bread, for it is my body which is broken for you and for the sins of many. And then he took the cup in the same way he gave thanks. He said, I want you to drink of this cup, for it is my blood spilt for you and for the sins of many. And he passed the cup around and he told his disciples, I want you to do this as often as you gather to remember what I've done for you. Think about that for a second. Do you see? Yes. But next Sunday when you take communion, will you see it differently? Hopefully. And how about next year when you take communion? We see it differently? I do hope so. I do hope that that bread tastes sweeter and that juice of the cup <laughs> tastes sweeter and that you begin to see your own sinfulness that's being forgiven every week and you begin to see the mercies and the grace of God and how wide and long and high they are. Amen? So I got one last thing, or one, one last thing to say. We have an open table here at Seasons of Faith, which means that you don't have to be a member of Seasons of Faith to take communion. Um, you don't have to have confessed your sins to some person yesterday in order to take communion today. You can take communion today. It's free, okay? Everyone is welcome. If you're visiting with us, we would love for you to join us at the table of the Lord. But my only hesitation would be, if you're not a Christian, it would be meaningless for you to take it. It would be like, um, I can't think of a great illustration at the moment, so let me just say it would be meaningless, right? Why would you take the bread and drink the cup if you didn't believe that Jesus died for your sins, <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. It would be almost blasphemous, to be honest. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, can I invite you to the table of the Lord? You could come and you can say, yes, I do believe that he died for my sins. Yes, I do believe he's the Christ, the Savior of the world. And I want that in my life. And if this is your first time to do it as a Christian, would you please let me know so that we can pray together and I can get to know your story? If you're a Christian, come to the table. If you're a non-Christian, don't, unless you're going to come be one today. Amen? And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to come down the center aisle. There will be two servants, and those servants can come forward now if they'd like. Um, two servants. There will be, there will be uh, left side servants and the right side servants. And you'll just come forward, and you'll take the bread and the cup from each, and then try to squeeze back on the side aisle back to your chair. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this story. You opened this man's eyes so that he might see. And yes, it was gradual, and I know that we all see gradually. But I would pray, Lord, that this morning, on Easter morning, that there would be all of us here would be able to see that you are the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Might you open our eyes even just enough to begin to see the simple truth that there is truth. <laughs> the simple truth that there is a difference between light and darkness. And maybe even if you would open our eyes just to see that we are in darkness and we need to be in the light. And then we would trust Christ to lead us into that light. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who might be coming a Christian for the first time this morning, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. You would give them a new strength, a new life, a new passion for your word and for Christ, and that they might know him and love him and walk with him. 
And I pray, Lord, that for the rest of us in here, that you'll begin to gradually open our eyes more and more, that we may love Jesus and love others more. And I ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said,